0: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. What makes a school successful? Does it matter how diverse the student body is? These are some of the questions being asked in the latest lawsuit challenging Connecticut's magnet school system. Coming up, we're going to hear from one of the plaintiffs, a Hartford mother, who says the state magnet school lottery enforces, quote, racially-based quotas that are keeping her son from getting the education he deserves. LaShawn Robinson will join us in studio in a few minutes. We're also going to hear from advocates of the CHEF movement. Now, 22 years ago, in the CHEF v. O'Neill case, the state Supreme Court ruled Hartford students were severely isolated based on race and economic status. Now, Connecticut had to come up with a way to desegregate schools, and its solution was building a network of magnet schools. But is this the system reaching the kids most in need? You can join our conversation, the number 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, some background again on the decades-long conversation in Hartford about equity in education. Joining me in studio is Jackie Rabe-Thomas. She's a reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. You can read her work and her colleagues at ctmirror.org. Jackie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, when we talk about Chef uh, V. O'Neill, uh, many residents know the legacy of this uh, Supreme Court case in the state of Connecticut. Others may not. So let's talk a little bit more about context. And in 1996, uh, why did the state Supreme Court rule the way they, they did?
2: So they found that children in Hartford, largely black and Hispanic youth, were suffering daily from you know, just severe racial and ethic, ethnic light isolation of, of students there. And they found that you need and ordered the state to desegregate the schools. And but they left the remedy up to the legislature. They said, put it at the top of your agenda and make that happen, desegregate Hartford schools. So fast forward 22 years and 31 percent of Hartford students are now in integrated magnet schools. That's about 6,500 students last school year. You also have some students attending Schools in the suburban areas through the open choice program. And so that has been Hartford's or Connecticut's strategy largely, but still, more than half of Hartford students still attend segregated schools, meaning
0: that at least more than three out of every four students in those schools are black or Hispanic. When we talk about the magnet school system that developed and also open choice, how big has the system gotten since uh, 1996 when that ruling came down?
2: So it, take, it took a few years for things to start to take off and actually have some options for the legislature to, to make some decisions. It, you know, lawyers had to go back to court, press for, for some movement on it. Um, but in more recent years, there's been a network of I think it's like 42 magnet schools, you know, different themes throughout the this throughout the Hartford region, in Hartford, in you know, Wethersfield, in Rocky Hill, you have some schools that p- parents are just you know, lining up to attend, but you also have some schools where parents are not lining up to attend from the suburbs. And so that's where you have some struggle of, you know, how do you keep these schools diverse if you don't have certain parents showing up to enroll in the schools? And, and the intent behind it is we want to make sure we're offering a diverse education for students.
0: Can we talk more about the standard that the state came up with cuz that's at the heart of this uh this federal uh, case uh, that um was I think heard in Bridgeport uh, federal district court uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when the state came up with efforts to what it means to actually desegregate a school why did they come up with this uh this standard the 7525 goal that they have
2: so it's a goal it's not a hard you know like there are 11 schools of the of the 42 schools who are over that 75 threshold. So it's not a clear cut quota of we're not going to allow students into the schools. There are schools that are operating over that 75 threshold. Um, But the the intent behind it was that our Supreme Court said children are suffering daily from attending isolated schools where they're not getting to know different types of students. And, And, you know, there's a lot of research that shows what a diverse education can do to not only black and Hispanic students, but to white students as well. Um, you know, critically thinking of, you know, being challenged of the way you think of things through different cultures and 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 things like that. So it's, it's just a little interesting what's going on here in the Hartford area because, you know, you read national press and you go to and I go to conferences and you hear about, you know, I wish we were, had more diversity in our schools. And then you hear sort of this pushback that's going on in Hartford of, you know, well, maybe we've had enough diversity in our schools maybe it's time to focus on the neighborhood schools and i think that's where the rub is really starting to 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 start is that people are frustrated that there aren't enough high quality schools for their students as well as there there's not enough money in their opinion being put into their local neighborhood schools it's a sort of it's going to the magnet schools not to my local
0: neighborhood school is sort of the the challenge Jackie Rabe-Thomas is reporter for the Connecticut Mirror today as we talk about uh, a recent uh, suit filed against uh, the state uh, related to the integration goals from the Sheffield O'Neill Supreme Court decision 22 years ago. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Can we go back to uh, something that you'd said about there's 42 magnet schools, and you said 11 of them are actually operating with this uh, ratio where it's greater than 75 percent? How is that possible with the, with the, the court? Court uh, mandate, so to speak.
2: So, without drowning you with, you know, (laughs) how the lottery operates, um, just you know, sort of high level. You have about fifty percent of every single magnet school. The seats are dedicated for Hartford students, and so that it operates completely separate from the other state-run lottery. And so, the the other lottery for the suburban students, they they look at the demographics of a of a district, and they say, okay. Bloomfield, you have a higher rate of minority students. Avon, you have a, a much lower rate. Avon students who enter the lottery are going to go to the top of the lottery for the suburban, for the suburban list. And you know they're they're sorted and given random numbers, but they're not handpicked in whether they're white or black or or who whatever. They're because they're from Avon, they have a better chance than students who are from Bloomfield. But that has nothing to do with the students who are picked from. Hartford, that's a completely different um, lottery that's going on there. And so, if you look at the chances of a Hartford student winning a seat in the lottery, uh, of the 5,900 students who uh, went went into the lottery last year, 49% of them won a seat. So. You look at the, the rate of students from Hartford winning a seat. They actually have a better chance of winning the lottery than suburban students. So the suburban students buying for a seat, there was 13,250 of that only 36 percent won a seat. So 36 versus 49 percent of students winning a seat. So Hartford students actually do have a better chance of winning the lottery. It's kind of counter to the narrative that you hear sometimes. But um, I think, the again, the frustration is that there just
0: aren't enough seats that are in high quality
2: high-quality schools.
0: I mentioned this federal lawsuit a couple of times. So tell us, um, we're going to hear from one of the plaintiffs coming up, uh, LaShawn Robinson, but um, they are challenging uh, this system that uh, the state uses to um, permit uh, students uh, uh, into magnet schools. So what is? Uh, what are some of their concerns? So when
2: there aren't enough white suburban parents who enter the lottery for certain schools. Now, by and large, there's enough suburban interest in the magnet schools, but there are some schools that aren't just not generating enough interest. And so in those schools, they struggle to recruit enough families to enter the lottery. And so in in an effort to maintain diversity, because that's the goal of these magnet schools is to maintain diversity, seats are not filled. And so um, during the 2016-17 school year, there were 1,439 empty seats in magnet schools. That's 93% of the capacity. So 7% of the magnet schools just weren't being filled. Um, With that said, that's not the only reason those seats aren't being filled. The state also has to pay for each of those seats that that goes into a magnet school. And so um, the state is facing some fiscal challenges, and so there's, there's two different things going on. You have not enough interest in some of the schools, but then also in other
0: schools you have the states not willing to lift the cap for funding for some of the schools. Uh, you mentioned the cap, so I think it was more than a year ago when the Malloy administration actually went back to court and said, let's uh, make this uh, 80% as the, the standard, and why uh, did uh, the advocates for CHEF think that would be a bad thing to do?
2: Um, It's sort of the slippery slide argument of, you know, you're already, you know, if you have a school that is three out of every four students is already white and black, you know, there's... Some people can make the argument that's already segregated, you know, that's already not diverse enough. So at what point, it's a slippery slope, you start at 80%, then you do 85%, then you do 90%. And again, some of these schools are over that 75%. So when they go over that 75%, they have a corrective action plan or i think it's an enrollment improvement plan or they, they have strategies to bring to sort of market to a, a wider net as well as to recruit some some you know white suburban families to attend these schools um, now that said some magnet schools have been demagnetized because it just hasn't either for financial reasons or because they just weren't successful in in recruiting enough Um, suburban families.
0: You can join our conversation on where we live today. Again, in studio with me, Jackie Rabe-Thomas. Coming up, we're going to hear from um, some Hartford parents. And you can join us at the number 860-275-7266. Gregory is calling from Winchester. Gregory, what's your question?
3: Hi. um, My question is this. I'm just listening to your, um, you know, what they're saying about how basically the good schools are the ones with the most white people in them if I'm understanding that correctly. And uh, is, is, that, is that correct? I mean, what is, what is the reason for that? Is there, is there a theory, an overall theory of why that is? Why it's so bad to be segregated into only schools with people of color?
0: Uh, Gregory, uh, thank you for your question. Jackie, did you want to respond? Because again, there's lots of confusion about uh, the desegregation efforts uh, in Connecticut and why we are where we are today.
2: Sure. So, nothing about your skin color says you have less opportunity to learn. Um, I don't think either side will say that. I think what um, what some will say, advocates of di- diverse schools will say that um, you don't have the concentration of need when you have 100% of your class needing, you know, free and reduced price meals, needing, um, you know, high concentration of students who speak limited English, who have some trauma at their homes, you know, have more need and, you know, what teacher is able to succeed under those circumstances. That's a that's a tall order for for teachers to have to be over to come.
0: Um, and that's and, what uh, teachers are experiencing in these neighborhood schools in Hartford.
2: Right. So if you talk to some teachers in neighborhood schools, um, you know, they're doing some some hard work out there and, and trying to, you know, overcome those barriers of, of some of the challenges that students are, are showing up with. But the reality is that um, if you have, you know, half your class being high need and the other half of your class not being high need, then, you know, you're going to have. Uh, you're going to be able to concentrate your energies to the
0: to students who need it This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy nall Again, Jackie Rabe-Thomas with me, reporter for the Connecticut Mirror at ctmirror.org. Coming up, we're going to talk with a Hartford mother who's one of the plaintiffs in this federal case that we mentioned. And when we think about uh, desegregation efforts, should Connecticut be forced to rethink its policies the last 22 years? LaShawn Robinson thinks so, and we're going to hear from her right after the break. You can join us too, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Last year Governor Malloy told the Hartford Current that "chef desegregation efforts quote are no longer working for the Hartford kids." He went on to say those efforts are quote hurting them more severely. Ironically, the state returned to federal court this month to defend its magnet school system against a lawsuit that challenges the way students are allocated seats. One of the plaintiffs suing Connecticut's Department of Education is joining me now in studio. I should also mention Jackie Rabe-Thomas from the Connecticut Mirror is with us as well. Uh, but joining us is LaShawn Robinson, lead plaintiff in this federal lawsuit. LaShawn, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us about um, your part of this suit on behalf of one of your children. Tell us about him.
4: Okay, um, I have a son named Gerard. Um, he was denied seats. Well, let me, let me go back a minute. Um, I applied for the lottery when he was three years old. Gerard would be 20 next month. No, the end of next week. Um, Gerard waited on the list. This, when, they, when they first were doing the list, you would just wait until your number goes down. Um, He waited on the list his whole life. Um, a
0: list to get into a magnet school. A list
4: to get into a magnet school, correct. Um, He never got picked. When, let me see, a couple of years back, um, I applied again. Gerard became number one for three rounds and still didn't get picked.
0: Which school did he want to go to?
4: Aerospace and Engineering.
0: And what was the reasons for him not being able to get a seat at the school?
4: Um, When I contacted the school, they said it was because other kids hadn't left um, and kids from the suburbs have to come in in order for Gerard to take a seat. Um, At that time, I really didn't know what that meant. Um, I wasn't really, you know, I knew about the Chef versus O'Neill thing that went on, you know, when I was a kid and I didn't even get a seat. So, it was just, I didn't really understand it then, let's put it that way. Now, I'm more educated about what's going on with the school systems. Um, so, yeah, so he he never got picked. My second son never got picked either. Um, and that's something he really wanted. So, my child kind of fell into a depression and not wanted to go on and finish school because... You know, we kept trying, we kept trying, and it's like, why do you have to win a lottery ticket to get a good education? Um, This is the the Constitution state, and I'm just not understanding um, the dynamics when it comes to um, this lottery system. It's not working. Um, It's been some years now. I'm in my 30s. You know, my child is here, too, and he's going to be 20. Um, Something has to be done And it's not only for just my child, you know, um, also for my little cousins, you know, um, nieces and nephews, my neighbor's kids, you know, like I need this to change because, you know, I see parents every day in a system that I'm friends with that do do not have the opportunity for their kid to get into a good school.
0: And so what's the scenario that Gerard experienced uh, having to go to the neighborhood schools? How did that impact him? You said he got into depression because he couldn't get in to the school of his choice. But what kind of education did he get uh, at the neighborhood schools?
4: Um, at the neighborhood schools, he got a decent education. Um, but I, from my experience, I knew that Harford school system failed me as a child. You know, <clears throat> um, he got a decent education, but I wanted more for my kids. Um, I want them to exceed my limitations. <laughs> So I I didn't want just decent. <laughs> I wanted extraordinary education for my kids. You wanted him to be challenged. Yeah, not bored. I wanted him to be challenged and not bored. He he did good, you know, in the elementary schools that he was in, and then he went to a charter, which he he did well there. Um, then he went to through, through a situation where he was getting bullied, and it was like terrible. Um, he had to face the people that were bullying him in a room and confront them. And um, the situation just went downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Being that all of us was from the same neighborhood, it was just not good for him. Mm-hmm. So me as a parent, I had to make that decision to put him back into neighborhood school. Um, he didn't do, he, at first he did well there because he came from the charter school education. And then he started, you know, I'm not being challenged. Um, I didn't know it was gonna be like this could you really just push for me to get into aerospace and engineering? And and me as a parent, I'm an advocate for my child, so I'm definitely like, I'm going to get you in there. I'm going to get you in there. And everybody in the neighborhood knows once you get to, like, the ninth grade that your chances are none to getting into a magnet school by then. If you don't get in by pre-K-4, more than likely we're not going to get in.
0: Jackie Rabe Thomas, who's here with us in the studio, why is that? So
2: if you look at it from, you know, in ninth grade, every seat's open in a high school. Or if you look at it from, you know, pre-K three or whatever the first grade is in a school, you have every single seat available. So there's just, you know, numbers. There's more seats that are being awarded to a pool of of people versus, you know, the, the later grades, you're waiting for attrition for people to leave year after year. And so you're hoping someone leaves to open a seat for you. But for the most part, you know, your best chances are those first years of, of a, that, a school, the youngest year of a
4: school.
0: Uh, you profiled the uh, LaShawn Robinson story uh, in your reporting. Is uh, this story typical of, of what um, some parents are facing, where their kids are high on that wait list, but because the, the ratio will be um, out of balance if they accept uh, uh, maybe uh, LaShawn's uh, son, that's why they end up uh, just stuck on this list?
2: So there are hundreds of children on wait lists every single year, year in, year out. Um, whether or not that's because of the racial makeup of a school and not tapping the next students in the school because it would it, it would push it out of diversity, or whether it's because the state is putting caps on magnet schools to enroll, both of those things are going on. So there's 1,400 empty seats in schools during this 2016-17 school year. Um, you know, I don't know what percent goes to what, but you know, it's a pretty even balance if I'm remembering correctly. So you have both issues going on of just demand not meeting the number of seats that are, are actually being enrolled in schools.
0: Uh, LaShawn, I mentioned you're one of the plaintiffs in this suit, this federal suit against the state of Connecticut Department of Education. What specifically are you asking? I'm asking if the seats are
4: available let the children in our neighborhood have those seats. Um, if kids from the suburbs don't want to come in, then why let seats go to waste? And we've had families that want a better education for their children. You know, it seems we, ha- we have 21 felon schools in Hartford alone. So if it's always a divide in the conversation um, at the dinner table when there's other parents that have children you have one kid in a magnet school you have one kid in a neighborhood school that's low performing and so the kids are like i go to a better school than you i'm getting a better education it shouldn't be like that um you should have equal opportunity when it comes to education it shouldn't be a cap or quota it shouldn't be you shouldn't be denied due to skin color like I don't know, I'm just livid about the whole situation. Um, it shouldn't happen like that. And and, and even there are still there are still um red tape when some of us get into the magnet school. I, I did have a younger daughter that got into the magnet school and but she couldn't access transportation. Hartford kids pre K four can't get the transportation. And I had to fight for that and walk and take two buses at five o'clock in the morning to get access for my daughter to get speech therapy and everything. So we're still a lot of red tape.
0: Uh, when you mention a uh, red tape, uh, Jackie, so just because a, a student is finally accepted into a magnet school, their families have to figure out how they're going to get there. So there's a delay
2: sometimes two or three weeks in order to set up transportation and in order to get. it. I'm not sure you know it's I'm not sure what happened in, in LaShawn's case that she, her it wasn't um, child prob- probably fell no. through the cracks. I, I'm not yeah. saying that that didn't happen, <laughs> but th- what they say is supposed to happen is that you know within two or three weeks you're supposed to get edu- you're supposed to get transportation set up for Hartford youth. Um, with that said, there's you know. Going forward, without additional money being spent on magnet schools, without an intent to open up additional magnet schools and additional seats, you're left with parents seeing these empty seats and saying, well, why? Just let me in those. If that's all that's going to be available, just let me in those seats. Um, but then you have the other side saying, just create more seats, spend more money to to open more magnet schools so that, you know, parents like LaShawn will have a, a great education and a great seat in a diverse school. Um, but there's the state is broke so we're facing huge deficits in connecticut so the reality is that we're probably not going to be opening up additional magnet schools in the near future you know short court action
0: Uh, when uh, we hear that gerard again lashawn robinson's son was uh, on i guess on the wait list and he was in the number one uh, spot he still wasn't able to go to university high school of engineering science Could that have been remedied if more suburban students had applied uh, to that school? Would he then have had a a shot?
2: Right, so that is one of the schools where not enough suburban students were applying. If you look at a map of which schools have enough students from the suburbs applying, you know, the the schools outside of the Hartford area don't have, that are physically located outside of, of Hartford, Aren't having a problem recruiting students. You know, you have places like in the north end of Hartford that just you're not attracting families to go to them. You have places in the south. I mean, it's not just the north end thing. Um, so you have places that are primarily located in Hartford that are having a hard time attracting enough families. And with that said, you know, there there have been some proposals throughout the years to make people to buy the chef plaintiffs to say, you know, people who have been on the waitlist for year after year after year, give them some sort of priority so that they're not waiting year after year. It, it hasn't been accepted. It hasn't happened. So, you know, someone who's in, applying for the lottery for the first time has just as great a chance as people like Gerard. So um, there, ha- there are some potential solutions that are out there so people aren't waiting for five, six, seven years.
0: This is where we live. Jackie Rabe-Thomas is with us, reporter for the Connecticut Mirror, and LaShawn Robinson, a Hartford mom, a lead plaintiff in the federal case uh, against uh, the state of Connecticut, uh, challenging uh, the system that's been used since the Chef V. O'Neill decision 22 years ago, um, enforcing integration standards. Uh, before we take some calls at 860-275-7266, I wanted to go back to you, LaShawn. I mean, what would you say uh, to people who support um, the solution since Chef? and worry that if your case is, is successful, that in this uh, 75% integration standard is removed, that um, more students would be hurt by it, that there would be no efforts to, uh, uh, they go back to where Connecticut was t- more than 22 years ago with uh, not trying to figure out ways to desegregate schools.
4: I don't feel like the focus should be desegregating de- um, because I feel like, when the children are coming in from the suburbs, they already have good schools. So, why will we leave, who will have the heart to leave other children behind? You are only gonna give certain children an opportunity and leave the rest and in felon schools and that's okay with you inside? Like, who who said that it was okay? I'm a mom, so I know it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Who Who's, who? I feel like people, anybody that says that that's okay and they want to still go on with this case that has been going on for several years, like, you have to look at yourself. Are you really for the children? Are you really for the children?
0: Because I I see it and live it every day. Uh oh. I'll go back to Jackie Rabe Thomas. When LaShawn says who decides, it was the court that decided that, and there's been back and forth between the chef uh, movement and the state of Connecticut since 1996.
2: Right. So, at, so the the
0: case that we've been talking about is
2: challenging whether or not you're allowed to have race conscious in race conscious applications into or race conscious lottery rather, and so that is in federal court but there's also a a case chef is a state case and that case is actually headed back to court in february and so the future of chef is also um in question in state court as well and that'll that'll be going in in proceeding in february now i should mention that i'm sort of curious to hear Lashawn's um response to sort of what do you think it makes the magnet school um, superior to a local neighborhood school. Is there something about it that, that you think students are doing better there versus the neighborhood school? Is there like a secret sauce that they have
4: that yes. other schools? Yes, I think the Magna schools have the recipe to success. Um, and you are allocated to be more funds um, than the neighborhood schools. They're, they're performing better than a neighborhood school. So, you know, why not? Why wouldn't we want our kids to have access to a better education? If we know that we have twenty one felon schools in our district. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the schools here, you have eighth graders reading on third grade level. Like, come on, like <clears throat> as a unit, as as a city, as the as as a state, um, we should want better for our children. Um, and that's what we want, you know, that's what I wanted for Gerard. I wanted Gerard to have a better education.
0: Uh, Jackie, you asked that question also in your reporting because uh, there's a sense out there that uh, the magnets are succeeding because more money is being funneled to them. But that's not necessarily the case.
2: So magnet schools get about 10,000 or the CREC magnet schools, which runs, um, you know, one of the largest network of magnet schools for the chef case. um, They get about 10,500 per student for every student they enroll. Um, but Hartford gets to keep their stu- their grant from the state as well. So Hartford actually makes out when students leave for another district, for another magnet school. Um, so they get to keep that money, which is why you see Hartford's per student spending going so much higher. Um, that said, Hartford is responsible for any special education costs that magnet students may incur in or may need in a local magnet school. Um, but this idea that um, money Is driving success in the magnet schools. It's just not the case that magnet schools are getting more state money or spending more per pupil. There is a lot of money at risk if CHEF does go away. Um, You know that ten thousand five hundred per pupil that Hartford um, that gets sent to the magnet schools and the you know the per student allocation that Hartford still receives every time that student leaves that might go away. You know I don't I wouldn't want to pretend to know what happens to the money.
0: I want to take some calls. Uh, again, you can join our conversation as we talk about uh, the integration standards have been put in place since Chef V. O'Neill. The number eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Phyllis is calling from North Granby. Phyllis, go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, I am a mom of two and I grew
3: up um, in the pre-chef era and I remember how segregated uh, my schools were. I wanted better for my kids um, and we live in a community that's very socioeconomically diverse, but not um, racially and ethnically diverse. Um, but when we look at the magnet school options for our kids, the travel for them to get there to and from is up to two hours a day on top of a school full work day or school day. Um is not easy for us and I just don't see the benefits especially when at the high school level, which is where we're looking, they would give up a lot. Um, There aren't the athletics at these magnet schools. There just aren't the options. And I don't think magnet schools are the solution to um, providing more diversity both in the suburbs and in the
0: city. Thank you, Phyllis. Um, uh, thank you, Phyllis, for your call. We're short on time, but I wanted to go back to Jackie Rabe-Thomas. Uh, if if magnet schools aren't the, uh, the solution or efforts to, um, again, have these standards in place to try to desegregate schools, um, could Connecticut actually think bigger and try to regionalize, which is something that they have punted for decades now? So that is interesting. Um, we are
2: a local authority state that we give a lot of authority to locals, and so I don't think that there is interest in forcing anyone to regionalize um, school districts. I think it's a voluntary basis, and I think that's part of what has got buy-in from sh- into CHEF is that it you're not forcing anyone to attend diverse schools. I mean, you can look at Boston and see how well that worked out. So the reality is that you are talking about mandatory busing. Mandatory <laughs> busing, and and so you know it just didn't work out in Boston. And so if you look at places like Granbury, that is a far, or Granby, sorry, um, that is a far drive. And there are other options. You know there are open choice seats as well. That's a whole other program where you bus Hartford students to Granby now it's gonna be just as far a bus ride for Hartford students who wanna go mm-hmm. to Granby. So um, you do have that issue, but I just quickly looked up how many, how many open choice seats Granby offers, 10. They offer 10 students from Hartford uh, enrollment in their school district. So it's, um, that hasn't been an option for them either in a, in a district that is overwhelmingly white.
0: Uh, Matthew's calling from Glastonbury. Matthew, uh, go ahead with your question.
5: Hi, um, I, uh, I have four students in a magnet school. Um, and I, I agree that this uh, uh, the quota system is is really perverse in that it's it's keeping uh, Hartford students out when they don't have better choices as opposed to my children who Glastonbury schools are fine. But um, I think it's very important that we maintain uh, choice for parents, especially for Hartford parents. And I would hate to, for this current discussion to um, to, to be used as an attack on magnet schools in general, I think choice is extremely important. And and to, to, to the, the 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 solution for these problems is not to uh, force all Hartford students to go to their neighborhood schools. Um, there's there's diversity, but school choice is really important. And uh, for parents who 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 are in Hartford, they need to be able to make the 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 choice that's the best choice for their child's education.
0: Well, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, we got to head to break, but I wanted to ask Jackie: uh, these uh, this case was heard in Bridgeport Federal District Court earlier this month. Uh, when when will the the judge decide if this is going to be something that um, you know should be looked at uh, from the federal level versus the state?
2: I, I, he said soon was the word he used, so I'm not sure what. Someone soon is another person's forever, you know, if they're waiting in a,
0: in a neighborhood school. So, And we should mention uh, LaShawn Robinson. Your son ended up dropping out of high school, yes. but he's, he's working on his GED. He
4: just got back into school yeah. at OPP. I'm so proud of him. It took a long time. It took a long time. I'm very proud.
0: <laughs> well, we thank you for coming in to share your story with us. Uh, LaShawn Robinson, again, uh, one of the plaintiffs who's suing uh, the state of Connecticut uh, over how students are selected for the state's magnet school system. LaShawn, thanks for coming in. Thank you. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Jackie Rib Thomas from the Connecticut Mirror is going to stay with us as we now uh, shift and talk about the CHEF movement. Again, a coalition of parents, students, and educators, among others, who advocate for integrated schools in Hartford. And we're going to continue to take your calls to 860-275. Five seven two six six. This is where we live. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from one of the plaintiffs suing the state over its desegregation efforts. Now, advocates of the CHEF decision by the state Supreme Court 22 years ago say there have been successes, and a member of that movement joins us now, uh, Rachel Martin, interim executive director of the CHEF Movement Coalition. Rachel, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Uh, Before I ask you to respond to some of LaShawn's points, I I wanted you to tell us uh, briefly about your background, the fact that you were a product uh, of the CHEF VO. O'Neill uh, decision. You, you went to Hartford schools after that.
6: Yeah, in some ways that's true. Um, I, I did attend the uh, Academy of the Arts. That was actually pre-Chef, um, but then um, have been involved in, in the, um, the environment of, of the magnet school system for a very long time. I'm the, I'm the parent of a former magnet school student as well. Um, and so just always have been uh, really aware of the benefits of, of an integrated and diverse uh, education and, and absolutely a proponent of that.
0: Uh, so when we talked to Lashawn uh, we heard her points that if she, she feels and other parents feel in Hartford that if there are qual- quality schools why can't their kids fill those seats why do they have why does the state have to enforce the 75 percent uh, integration standard how do you respond and what's at stake if uh, this case uh, wins in federal court
6: yeah I, I'm absolutely uh, super grateful actually to, to hear uh, Ms. Robinson's story because we hear this from parents all the time and have been for many years uh, that there just aren't enough seats available to Hartford students to attend the quality uh, integrated magnet schools that they want to attend Um, and so that's something that the chef movement has been fighting for um, for many years um, to demand that the state of Connecticut uphold its constitutional uh, obligation to Hartford students uh, that they be provided access to a quality integrated education Um, and so uh, you know it's parents like like Mrs. Robinson that really are um, the best advocates for those students Um, I think where we differ is our approach to the solution uh, so this this new lawsuit would uh, really have us kind of scrap the system that we have um, spent decades building in Hartford, and should be really uh, very proud of. Um, as as Jackie mentioned, you know, in 1989 when Sheff v. O'Neill was filed, we had zero percent of Hartford students attending an integrated school, um, and now we have close to 47, percent uh, including magnet schools and open choice program, and that's something that um, is looked at nationally as as really kind of a a, a landmark um, uh, uh, effort. Um, and so we should be very proud of that. Um, and that's that said, you know that the The system is not serving every Harvard student, and we're very aware of that, um, and that's unacceptable. Um, And so, we believe really that the solution is to expand the magnet school system, uh, require that the state of Connecticut provide more funding, open more seats. Uh, There are capacity issues at schools that could be remedied, Um, and so we'd like to see the the system expanded rather than kind of dismantled.
0: I wanted to read a a comment we got from Emily from Granby, uh, who says she has excellent schools there, but she sent her child to magnet schools for the diversity. Thinks that the funding for magnet at schools is unfair, but has witnessed special needs kids not being given the proper support that they need. How do you respond to, to that um, comment from a listener?
6: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad that she, uh, that the listener um, kind of recognizes the importance of an integrated education. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about why that's so important. Um, and I just want to mention a few reasons. Um, and we know that that uh, diversity in the classroom really benefits all students. So not just Harvard students benefit from this, of course, suburban students as well. Um, that helps to reduce the achievement gap um, Um, They have uh, students that attend integrated schools, um, have higher um, graduation rates, better critical thinking skills. um, And you know, the the, uh, the system is not perfect, as I said, and we continue to work um, to fight for, the, for uh, what we believe every student uh, really needs. And so if there are students that feel as though their uh, magnet schools are not serving their special education needs, that's something that we want to hear, um, because we are really an advocacy group on behalf of parents. We want to make sure that this uh, system um, is held accountable to every student that attends.
0: Uh, Rachel, you mentioned that the chef movement would like to see more magnet schools built, but um, you're aware of Malloy's comments just over a year ago that Mm -hmm. he says that right now the integration standard is no longer working for all Hartford kids and they don't want to build any more magnet schools. So then what's the solution? Right. So the integration isn't, uh, system isn't working for every Harvard student because the state of Connecticut has
6: put caps on enrollment, because the state of Connecticut has really refused to continue to invest in integrated education. Um, and so, you know, we believe that if there is a political will to um, really center the importance of integration to a student's education, um, that we can make more progress. We've uh, the, the plaintiffs in the chef case have also um, really... Um, Uh, Submitted and provided uh, very creative options to the state of Connecticut to better um, use the capacity of our existing magnet schools, to better fill those schools, to uh, come up with more uh, innovative ways to make sure that more students are served. Um, And the state of Connecticut really has not embraced those solutions. Uh, So there are other ways that we can think innovatively and creatively to make sure that the system can reach as many students as possible. Uh, We just need to work together, Um, and I think that that all parties involved need to do that.
0: Rachel Martins, interim executive director of the Chef Movement Coalition, here on Where We Live as we talk about uh, efforts again uh, when we look at desegregation efforts since the Sheffield O'Neill decision 22 years ago. Uh, Jackie Rabe-Thomas is also with us, reporter for the Connecticut Mirror, and uh, something that Rachel, which um, she was responding uh, to Malloy's comments, but... Malloy won't be governor uh, in another couple of months. So when we look at uh, where uh, the uh, education is moving in the state of Connecticut, when we look at what the candidates have said related to do they support more magnet schools, what are you hearing, Jackie?
2: So Ned Lamont is um, not supportive of opening additional magnet schools. He really wants to focus on local neighborhood schools, and, and he thinks the time is now for focusing time and energy on those local neighborhood schools who for years have not had, you know, the state's attention in his mind. Um, When you look at the schools in the surrounding area, however, he sees opportunity that they have declining, rapidly declining school age population. So he does see opportunity in incentivizing districts who have, you know, half-empty schools or who are facing closure to maybe incentivize places to Take some more Hartford students into their school so that their school district is able to keep that school open. Um, Again, it's a money issue and whether the state's going to have money for that. And if you're talking about then, you know, having money follow the kid from Hartford to that suburban area, you're talking about some really, you know, challenging ways through the legislature. And then Bob Stefanowski, the Republican who's running, he has—he um, is all in on magnet schools. He is a big fan of magnet schools, regional magnet schools. He sees the lack of diversity as a real problem in our inner city schools. School districts again, money is a problem. How either of these candidates is going to find money for that? The state's facing a two billion dollar deficit in their first fiscal year in office. Um, just to take a step back for a minute about that special ed question, um, Jack Doherty over at Trinity a few years ago he did a he did two different studies on sort of who's choosing for magnet schools, and he found that students who require special education services or are English language learners are not applying for the lottery at the same threshold as some of, as, you know, who makes up Hartford public schools. And so there are some solutions that he recommended of how to entice more English language learners to come into a school, you know, open a dual enrollment program that embraces their language, have, you know, the lotteries more um, in in Spanish or whatever the primary language is. There's a host of different changes that could be made to sort of accommodate those more. As far as students who do have special education services who are in magnet schools, um, I, I'm kind of puzzled why that student might be facing challenges. I don't, I I have a hard time thinking it's a monetary reason because Hartford's responsible for providing um, this, paying for the special education and the other service. So, you know, an operator like CREC, I don't believe has any disincentive to say, no, you can't, you can't have these services because they're not the ones footing the bill. So um, unless, you know, they're getting pushed back from Hartford. So I'm, I'm having a little, it's easier to say from afar that that's what's going on. But
0: uh, Rachel, uh, when we talk about a desegregation, will that ever be a, an issue where we'll never see a school segregated? Because when you look at housing policies across the state of Connecticut, um, there's a reason why uh, these communities have be- been developed as they have. And th- there are issues where there's still very segregated schools.
6: Absolutely. And, and that's really important context to have here is that segregation does not uh, occur organically. This is not a natural phenomenon. This is the result of years of housing policies and practices um, by the government and by banks that really concentrated people of color in very specific uh, areas uh, while providing many more opportunities for white families to uh, purchase house- homes in, in the suburbs. Um, and so, it, it, you know, we really see uh, in- integrated schools as a way to combat that, you know, years and years and decades of institutional racism, right, that have created these segregated communities that we exist in now. Um, is it a panacea? Or is this, you know, going to solve all of our societal ills? Probably not. Um, but it's absolutely worth protecting and fighting for, um, especially for our students that, that are currently, um, you know, looking for that high-quality school as Ms. Robinson um, herself was looking for.
0: I wanted to fit in some calls. Uh, Michael's calling from Meriden. Michael, go ahead. Hi. I just wanted to
1: say that uh, I feel like this is the reason uh, – this is the effect of, of manufacturing diversity. Um, I mean, the, the, the mix of people, uh, whether it be race or socioeconomic – um, factors in schools and things are a result of their geography a result of the people that are in those cities and towns. Um, I think that the approach to this needs to be much more like the you know free market uh, where the schools are competing against each other to be better and to attract more people regardless of what, who those people are and I think that trying to make a you know even homogeneous mix of all these diverse types of people is kind of a, a um, it, it's not the way to go about it in my view. It, it, they, they should just make, uh, aim to make all schools um, better and whatever elements those are, whether it be better teachers or uh, better facilities or more funding or, or, or you know, even funding for that matter, That should be the focus.
0: Thank you, Michael, uh, for your call. I wanted to have Jackie respond.
2: So I just wanted to talk a little bit about how the free market's working for housing. So only 21 of the state's 169 municipalities allow multi-unit housing. So you're talking about municipalities who are not allowing lower income penetration into into their school district. And then you have, if you're talking about where the actual government is investing into um, public subsidized housing, 48 percent of Connecticut's subsidized housing is in Connecticut's 10 lowest performing school district. 22 percent of all housing is located in I mean, I could go on and on with this data. So it's not like the free market is allowing penetration of low-income students into other communities.
0: Uh, Rachel, we just have a couple minutes left. Rachel Martin, Interim Executive Director of the Chef Movement Coalition. Uh, I mentioned at the start of the show that um, the integration efforts in Connecticut have been uh, held up as a model for other states. But there's still uh, room to improve. When we look at how uh, schools, districts are doing the work across the country, are there places that we could be learning from?
6: There are, yeah. I mean, so, you know, the issue is that uh, every city is completely unique, and they all have very different histories, very different populations and, and, and geographies. Um, but there are definitely uh, uh, other cities uh, throughout the country that are doing some innovative things, especially with their lottery system. And so, you know, that's really one of the issues that's, that's um, uh, really uh, on people's minds is how the lottery system works. Um, there are systems out of L.A., for instance. There are systems in Dallas, Texas, um, that do things like um, provide preference for students who have um, applied in previous years, right? That that's still something that we don't really do here in Connecticut. Um, And it has been proposed by the chef plaintiffs and the state of Connecticut has not embraced that as a solution. Uh, But we feel that that might be something that, you know, the um, uh, uh, that that parents such as Mrs. Robinson would have really used um, in order to make sure that her student was um, eventually placed into a school. Um, So so having more um, preferences, making the lottery system a little bit more um, transparent would be helpful. I know there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of Um, uh, misunderstandings and and misperceptions about how the lottery works. So having a more transparent process, having our parents um, able to feel a sense of Um, agency, a sense of control over their child's choice um, is really, really critical. And we've been fighting for that um, for many years and and hope to see that happen.
0: You mentioned that uh, the chef Coalition wants to see the state build more magnet schools. I brought up the question of regionalization earlier. Um, Is that a way forward? Should the legislatures start to look at this despite, uh, you know, these years of local authority?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think that whether regionalization in and of itself is embraced um, at a a political level, um, our municipalities, can be coming together and working together to come up with better solutions so we have so many players involved Um, we have the suburban uh, districts we have Hartford public schools we have CREC. Um, if if all of these entities could come together and really sit down and think about the best way to serve every student uh, making sure that they have access to the education that they're looking for um, that could be a way to really be innovative and think creatively without having to um, you know drain our our budgets or or come up with uh, additional funding.
0: I want to thank Rachel Martin again, interim executive director of the Chef Movement Coalition. Rachel, thank you. My pleasure. Also, Jackie Rabe Thomas, reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. This won't be the last time we've talked. We're talking about uh, uh, education in the state of Connecticut, but we thank you for your perspective.
2: Sure, absolutely, thanks.
0: Today's show, uh, produced by Carmen Baskoff, uh, special thanks to intern Philip Gialopsis and also our technical producer, Kion Wolf. Learn more about the show, wmpr.org slash we live. I'm Lucy potential coming up on Thursday and Friday. We hope to have two more gubernatorial candidates to interview. And for you to have asked questions, Bob Stefanowski on Thursday and Ned Lamont on Friday.